Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here, and I want to welcome you to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We are so blessed that you're joining us for part two and the conclusion of a great interview with author Richard Raines as we continue to discuss his book, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. Now, Richard's not only an author, but a professor of Christian history and Christian theology and former CEO, and has also held political office as a former elected official. Now, if you missed any of the preceding episode in part one, you need to go back and catch up as Richard has been sharing some little-known things about the father of our nation. Such things like, he actually fought for the British and lost his first major battle, causing him to surrender in the French and Indian War, and various other little tidbits that most people don't even know about. Amen? So let's jump back into this discussion now with Richard Raines as we discuss his book, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. We're talking right now with Richard Raines, author of an absolutely fabulous book, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of our most essential founding father. Now, Richard, why did you write this book to begin with? Uh, Pastor Bob, I, I do think that to some extent, and I don't talk about this in the book as much. Um, I, I wrote this book. I, I really, it was tough for me. Do I write a book specifically for a Christian audience or do I write a book for Americans in general and try to integrate faith? And so that's what I did, Amen. which means it's not written for people who have confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, right? This is for, so I highlight these virtues. I talk about Washington's faith. I intermingle my faith, but, um, but we understand servant leadership because Jesus was the ultimate servant leader, right? And that's, Amen. we, you know, yep. through the, Amen. through the ministry of the, uh, of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are servant leaders, but I highlight how we need to revive that in our culture and stop yeah. being so narcissistic and and those things. But that was a, Certainly a, a highlight for Washington and a highlight for me studying Washington's life. Amen. Yeah. Something else I remember about that after the battle and Braddock had died and you know, Braddock's last quote unquote dying wish was for Washington to be in charge of us, of burying him. And the British had built a road through the wilderness uh, to expedite the transfer of supplies because I, I believe Braddock had left the support the artillery and all that stuff behind so they could push farther ahead faster and you know that was one of the things that you know the road was for is to facilitate the transfer transport of all that goods but washington had him buried in the middle of the road and then had all the wagons and all that run over his grave to camouflage the grave and it was so effective they didn't find it to like when they were building an actual road, <laughs> when they found the grave, they do, they knew he was somewhere in the area. They hadn't any clue that it was under the road. Right. One of the things I, I observe in the book, and it's, I think it's one sentence, but it, it certainly doesn't reflect how often I've thought about it. You know, when Braddock landed on the shores of, 
of the colonies met Washington, he had such disdain for Washington, mm-hmm. had no respect and no regard. And when the battle at Monongahela started, you know, he was shot almost immediately. Might have been one of the first people to be shot because they targeted officers, right? Um, and so, which in, in the European theater, you didn't do. That's right. They didn't play fair. That's that's the whole point, right? They don't play fair. Yeah. And so, um, so I say in in the book, and I forget how I say it exactly. Um, you've written books. It's hard to remember everything you've written, so you have to. I actually went back and read the books that I would remember what I said. Right. So, um, but I bet you a nickel that whatever Braddock thought about Washington, watching Washington fight from that horse, watching Washington with zero regard for his own safety. And there's more, much, much more to that story than I'm telling, but I want to make sure that we have time to talk about everything. Um, I bet Braddock drew his last breath with a different opinion of George Washington than the opinion he had when he first met him. And like you said, he asked Washington to, to, to bury him. And so, um, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I believe another of my favorite frontiersmen was also involved in this battle as well. A young Daniel Boone, right? What role did he play in that battle? So I don't know. I, I, there, there's so much. There's so many intricate parts of that story that I had to skip over. Um, okay. Trying to focus just on George Washington, okay. but um, yeah. but I'm not sure. That's a good question. You probably know more about that than I. But I did read that he was involved in that that skirmish. He was very young. Yeah, yeah he's at that really time, at yeah. colonist in. Um, I think. I think he lived in the frontier of Tennessee, so he might have been. Uh, in the Virginia militia, probably. I don't know. I'd have to look that up, but um, I did read that. Because I know it wasn't until like almost 20 years later when he, but he made a friend. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head in in that job that he had. And that friend was a, a trapper and stuff in Kentucky. And he like 15, 20 years later got Daniel Boone involved with it. And that's what, you know, started the, the, uh, the story of Daniel Boone, <laughs> you know? right? Yeah, but but it started right there in that battle because that's where he made this contact, and eventually later, you know, ex, you know, found the uh, Cumberland Gap and all that other good stuff. Anyway, right? Because of his actions during this battle, the American Indians also had a prophecy about George Washington's future, right? They certainly did. This is one of, and I said there was more to this story. I'm so you're asking all the right questions, uh, Pastor Bob. Um, Obviously, I'm into this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so me too. <laughs> so Washington's fighting from his horse, eight feet off the ground, right? Everyone's shooting at him. No one hits him. They hit his coat. They hit his horse. No one hits him. So the British win the French and Indian War, and because of Washington's role in the French and Indian War as an officer, he's given land in Ohio. And so years later, he and a a physician friend of his are traveling to Ohio together to to survey this land, to find out if this is something we're going to sell or we're going to try to grow timber. What what are we going to do with this land? So he's in the area. He's surveying his land and he gets an invitation to sit down with some Iroquois and some other, other Native American Indian chiefs. So he agrees to go to the meeting. He goes to the meeting. 
And while he's at this meeting of Native American uh, Indian chiefs, they tell him that some of them were there at Monongahela and they remembered him. And the reason they remembered him is because they all pointed their rifles at him and fired and no one could hit him. And he said that what, in essence, what they said to him was that they sensed in that moment that there was such divine protection and they didn't use that terminology, but there was such divine protection of George Washington that they knew he was special. Mm -hmm. So they went back after the battle of Monongahela and told their people about this seemingly divine character who fought for the English. And the story made such an impression on the Native American religious people that they issued a prophecy about George Washington. And the prophecy was that this warrior will be the father of a great nation. And they told Washington this. Washington never wrote about it. He never told anyone about it. But his friend, the physician, told everybody. In fact, after Washington died, everybody was clamoring to write books and plays about George Washington to sort of capitalize on his memory. And there was a play about that, about the Battle of Monongahela and about that prophecy that wow. that that ran in in the colonies, particularly the north, uh, the northern colonies uh, for you know, a decade or, or so, but, mm. and I, and I think that there were several moments in Washington's life. I think that, that gave him, that, that put him on the path of him understanding that he had a divine purpose. Now, one of the, one of the things that modern historians say about George Washington is that he, um, he was, a deist. That's my very now, next question. Hey, okay. So, so I'll say a couple of things about that, Pastor Bob. Number one is, is secular non-religious historians desperately need for George Washington to be a deist. Yeah. Right. It's important to them that he's a deist. Unfortunately, there's not one single shred of evidence to support that he was a deist. In fact, um, one of the official historians for Mount Vernon, um, Mary Thompson. Mary Thompson wrote a book, In the Hands of a Good Providence, Religion and the Life of George Washington. And in this book, she details everything related to George Washington's religion. The challenge that we have is that George Washington used language different than language we use today, religious language. George Washington wasn't was not an evangelical Christian. That's not something that really existed yet. There were some Baptists in the colonies, but the predominant expression of Christianity in the colonies was um, was Anglicanism, right? Which became the Episcopal Church. And so, so the the wording was different. If you if you look at the writings of some of the Christian founding fathers, you just don't see Jesus mentioned. You right. see synonyms for God, synonyms for Jesus. And Washington's synonym for God was providence. The reason he used that word, I believe, was because he had all these moments in his early life, his early adult career, that revealed to him that God had a God had intervened in his life to the point that 
he had a he had a a, a divine destiny, if you will. So he, his favorite word for God was providence. Now, providence, if you're trying to prove that Washington was a deist, a deist would not say providence because providence, the, the word providence means, it literally means divine intervention. God is intervening providentially. And so, um, so I think that, I think that the, the, his time at Fort Necessity, the Battle of Monongahela, and then um, this prophecy that the Native Americans issued, I think it led George Washington to believe that that he had a divine purpose and he wasn't going to die until that purpose was fulfilled. And Pastor Bob, he fought that way. He, there, the, the biggest complaint that his officers had of him during the Revolutionary War is that he would fight with no regard for his own safety. I tell a story about uh, there was this one event in George Washington's Washington's life, and I, I use it to highlight his character, where uh, they encountered the British uh, heading into um, heading into uh, a town in New Jersey, and and the British are guarding this bridge, and the colonists uh, engage the British. The British start to flee, and George Washington takes off on his horse with a sword chasing the British. And George Washington looks around and his entire army is behind him. And the only thing, the only thing in front of him are British redcoats who all have their rifles pointed at George Washington and they all fire. And not one bullet hits the guy. He turns his horse around and he, he screams at his, uh, at his troops, uh, something about, um, um, the fox chase is on. Let's go. You know something like that, and 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 they win that battle. There's another story of him, um, which I, you know, I, I used to to talk about courage. Is Washington was on his horse. Uh, he was with another officer. They were riding their horse through the woods. They were talking about strategy and the upcoming battle. And um, uh, Major John Ferguson was a was a redcoat who saw Washington and didn't want to shoot a man in the back. So Ferguson stepped out into the clearing and pointed his rifle at George Washington. George Washington looks at him, stares at him for what could be a few seconds, slowly turns his horse around and just rides away. Mm. He, he never, and, and Ferguson wrote about it later. He's like, I've never seen such in my life. Like, with no, with, with no thought of his own safety and no fear, this guy just turns his horse around and so I think that Washington certainly acted, uh, and I don't think it was just macho, um, you know, heroism. Uh, Washington acted, talked, wrote, and seemingly thought about his life as it pertains to divine providence. And there's a lot of instances of that. Amen. You know, a lot of the cancel culture today. Uh, is claiming anyone that owns slaves couldn't be that virtuous. I mean, no matter what their contribution was to society. You know, what are your thoughts on this? And how can we, as a society, understand the dilemma that the founding fathers actually faced in trying to form a new nation that some held opposing views to slavery? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's a question that I wanted to tackle when I, when I finally decided that, okay, I'm going to write this book about George Washington. I included a chapter on him as a, a slave owner. 
And there's, um, Pastor Bob, there's a couple of approaches to George Washington and, um, and his role as a slave owner. And so the one thing I wanted to do in this book, I'm a church historian. I, I teach history of Christianity. It's important to me to tell the story, regardless of how the story makes me feel, right? Um, and so when it came to George Washington, I said to myself, whatever I've learned about George Washington, forget about it. Let's take a look at him as a slave owner. And there are two camps when you have, uh, I call them Washington apologists, people that that are really on board with Washington's virtue and that sort of thing is they will tend to sweep that under the rug. Or they'll say things like, well, Washington freed his slaves uh, at his death. Well, not really. Uh, he, he set them free in his will, but only uh, after Martha died. Mm. So um, and he did some things that, that to reveal that he had moved towards a more Christian position on slavery. Um, but he never got rid of his slaves. And so uh, one camp is, well, he was good to his slaves and uh, he stopped buying and selling slaves, which he did. Um, and he set them free in his will, which he did. Uh, and then the second camp is Washington owned slaves. And therefore, anything he ever did from the time he drew his first breath until he drew his last has to be discounted. Those are the two extremes, but those represent, generally speaking, the two camps. So here's my take on it, Pastor Bob. Washington owned other people. Slavery is a sin and slavery is evil. And George Washington participated in the enslavement of other human beings. There's not one thing you can say to convince me that somehow uh, all the good things that Washington did negate the fact that he was a slave, a slave owner. But they also don't discount all the good things he did, right? So here's my take on, on that, and I'll, I'll try to be brief here. So if you're in the camp, not you personally, but if someone is in the camp of Washington was a slave owner and therefore discount everything. And by the way, that's, that's what I'm getting. Um, I put an ad on Twitter for the book. And a woman sent me a private message that said, based on the title of the book, I think it should be burned. And I get all these private messages, really hateful messages about Washington was a slave owner. Washington was a slave owner. So, okay, so this is where I'm falling on this. So number one, if you want to tear down statues of George Washington and erase him from history because he was a slave owner, then okay, let's do that. Let's consider slavery the worst evil that has ever been perpetuated in the history of humanity, and let's cancel everything. So there are 24.9, 25 million people enslaved through human trafficking today, right? Yep. So if, if you don't have a, like if you don't have a problem with internet pornography or strip clubs or escort services and things like that, then, then you are supporting modern slavery. So we know that, that internet pornography is one of the, the most prominent purveyors of human trafficking. You can get to any internet pornography site through any internet browser. Yep. So we have to cancel the internet. 
you have to shut the internet down because the internet pervades mm-hmm. human trafficking, right? In China today, there are 3.8 million slaves in China. If we are going to cancel everything related to slavery, then you have to get rid of every item in your home that either was built in China or has Chinese parts in it. Your TV, your car, your iPhone, you have to get rid of it all. We have to stop trading with China. Well, okay, let's look at Western Africa, Angola, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, those Western African nations. Listen, it wasn't white Europeans that were going to Africa and capturing black Africans. It was black Africans that were capturing black Africans and then selling them to white Europeans. So now what we need to do is we need to cancel those countries because those countries started it. We need to cut economic ties with them. We get most of our diamonds from West Africa. So if you're wearing a diamond, you got to throw it away, not sell it because that'd be profiting off of slavery. You got to throw it away. Um, When you look at slavery in the United States, there were during that transatlantic slave period, those 200 years or so, you had about 12 million slaves that were taken from West Africa. About 10 million of those slaves survived the journey and 388,000 slaves were brought to the United States. So there were 388,000 slaves taken from their homeland, brought to the United States and which represented about 4% ish or so of the total slaves that survived the trip. So it wasn't even the most prominent place in the world where you had African slavery. And so my, my take is number one, if we're going to cancel everything, let's cancel everything. Mm. Throw your iPhone away, Amen. throw your computer away. Right. You, you can't, you basically can't function in our society. If you do, if you say to me, Richard, that's going too far because you're taking it out of context, then you have to concede my point, which is, Slavery has existed since humans figured out they could enslave others, right? Number two, slavery existed within a certain historical context where it was viewed differently than we view it today. That doesn't mean it wasn't evil. That just means that people who lived in that time viewed it differently. And I use the abortion issue to make the point. There are two camps for abortion. Extremes. One extreme is the more abortions, the better. The other extreme, which is my take, is that it's the modern day Holocaust, right? Most Americans are somewhere in between. We live with abortion and most Americans would say, well, I don't want women to have abortions, but um, so let's try to figure out a way to lessen it. I would say when it comes to slavery, most Americans and colonists in the 1700s said, well, slavery is not a good deal. Our economy sort of relies on it. So um, we just don't know what to do. And I think Washington fell into that camp where he didn't know what to do. Because once he figured out it was wrong, and Lafayette was really, um, who was a military uh, aide from France that was one of Washington's closest friends in his his entire life, Lafayette's the one that convinced Washington that it was wrong. And once Washington realized that slavery was wrong, he stopped buying and selling slaves, which almost ruined him financially. And he and Lafayette were working on a plan to abolish slavery in the United States. Uh, They were going to purchase a bunch of land in the West Indies and start shipping slaves to the West Indies so that they could be sharecroppers on farmland in the West Indies and be free people basically working for working for farmers in America that own land, but not enslaved. Never was able to enact that plan. 
And so one of the one of the things I point to that really confuses the issue doesn't confuse it, but it points to how complicated this issue was at the time Washington lived. Was there was a slave in Boston, Massachusetts, Phyllis Wheatley, who whose masters taught her how to write, encouraged her to write poetry, and she wrote poetry. And one of the poems that she wrote was about George Washington, where she thanked God for George Washington and prayed for God's blessing and guidance for him. So here in the 1700s, you have a slave writing poetry about a slave owner, thanking God for this slave owner and asking God to bless all the endeavors of this slave owner. So what that means is that even slaves didn't view the issue the way some people view slavery today. And I think that you have to view Washington's, uh, his role as a slave owner in the correct historical context, which is it was evil. It was his biggest failure. He failed himself. He failed his family. He failed the slaves and he failed America by not, by not fixing that issue so that we wouldn't have to go to war to fix it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he lived within a historical context where slavery was viewed differently. That doesn't mean it was right. That just means that that for us to say, if someone owned a slave, you have to cancel everything they've ever done ever in the history of ever. That is not the correct historical context because you don't apply that to yourself today. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's 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 a great, great answer to that question. Praise God. Richard, this has been so interesting. As I said, I'm a history nut and I have really, truly enjoyed our conversation today. How could someone obtain a copy of your book, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Our Most Essential Founding Father? I mean, is it available on Amazon? It is. The best way to get it is online, either Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it is available for your local bookstore to, per- to purchase. So uh, you can contact your local bookstore, ask them to purchase it from one of their suppliers, and then you would buy it at the same price you would get from Amazon, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, if you buy it from Amazon, it comes in about a week. Um, so Amazon, Barnes and & Noble. And throughout the book, Pastor Bob, I give my email because what I want is I want to create a conversation with people about how to instill virtue in our culture today. Yeah. How do, we, how do we revive integrity and character and, and all of these other things? And so I would encourage your listeners to jot down, if you, once you've jotted down Amazon.com and the name of the book, Finding Washington, uh, write down my email. It's Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D, Richard at FindingWashington.com. And even before you buy the book, send me an email. And while you're reading the book, send me emails about your thoughts. I'm getting emails from all over the country now. Uh, about people that are reading it and and I'm engaging in these conversations about how they can make changes at their work and in their business and in their family and in their community and in their church about reviving virtue. And so Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, and then Richard at FindingWashington.com. Amen. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you to ask a question or maybe do an interview like this that you wanted to use the email. Oh yeah, that'd be perfect. Okay. All right. Do you have a website? Not yet. My uh, 21 year old daughter who is much more technologically advanced than I, she's working on it. Hey, <laughs> so man, stay tuned. I know to feel it. <laughs> I'll put links to this down the show notes below. Folks, George Washington was, and still is, an American treasure. I mean, without him, this nation probably would not exist. I mean, he did so much in the formation of this great country from 
leading a ragtag bunch of individualists and using them to defeat the largest military force in the world at that time to motivating the squabbling delegates from the states to finally group together and take a stand for liberty to to help to form the office of the presidency as we know it today. I mean, and refuse to take the title of king. I mean, we owe him an eternal debt of gratitude. And despite the arguments to the contrary, despite the naysayers, George Washington should serve as a role model for our culture today instead of whatever the cancel culture has to say. And I I urge you, if you enjoy reading about history, if you have children or grandchildren that you want to leave a positive legacy for, order Richard Rain's book, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. Just drop down the show notes, click the links right there, get in touch with Richard as well, but be sure to order his book, Finding Washington. Richard, thank you again for taking the time out of your schedule to join us today. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. For Richard Rains and myself, Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.